Welcome to the Playbook for Amazon podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Lieber, and the goal of this podcast is to share what's working today that's helping my company, Turnkey Product Management, sell over eight figures per year on Amazon for our clients. We will share with you the actionable steps, systems, and playbook that you can plug into your business to boost your sales on Amazon. Let's go. On today's episode, we get to interview Kevin Sanderson. He is a very, very talented Amazon seller, and he actually has a unique experience where he sells on over, I think it's seven or eight international Amazon platforms. So he sells on Amazon Canada, Europe, Japan, all over the world. And most sellers that we talk to you know, really struggle with that. They've never, never taken the leap over the pond and, and tried that, or they are over there in those countries but not having success. And so I really got to pick his brain today to learn what can we, you know, what, what can a seller do to have success internationally. And I think that you're going to get a lot out of this episode. If, it's, if you're ready to do it now or in the future, it's worth listening to because, you know, it's something that you should consider adding to your business. It makes you more sellable as a business. Uh, it increases your multiple and diversifies your risk, right? Because you've got multiple platforms and channels that you're selling on. And it's not that difficult to do from what Kevin talked about. So I hope that you enjoy this episode with Kevin Sanders. All right. So today we have Kevin Sanderson on the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on, Kevin. Appreciate it. Oh, I'm super excited to be here. Thanks, Jeff. Very cool. So yeah, so let's jump into, for those that don't know you, a little bit of a background on yourself. How did you get into e-commerce? Yeah, so it was a, a longer winding, winding road than it probably needed to be. So I, uh, I, I first started out, it was the fall of, not fall, was, I don't know, let's just say it was sometime in 2004, 2005, I bought some golf clubs on eBay with the intention of uh, selling them for like 10 times what I bought them for because I went on nike.com and saw that they were selling for like $400 and I could buy them on eBay for 40, which made no sense because why would somebody buy them on eBay for $400 if somebody else just bought them for 40? Then I realized everybody else was selling them for 40. So I ended up just doing nothing for at least 10 years, 10 years that I can never get back in this e-commerce game. And eventually, just one day, let's call it, it was a summer of 2015. I was uh, flipping through iTunes like a lot of uh, podcast listeners do just to see what the latest and greatest was. And I found a, uh, the Amazing Seller podcast. And at the time, Scott Volker, the host of the show, was very focused on how to get started selling on Amazon. And I was like, let me try this thing. So uh, basically, I took uh, a season's worth of earnings as a high school football referee here in uh, South Florida and invested that into my first product and then reinvested in over time and got to a point where about a year ago, so we're almost to my one-year anniversary where I uh, have left the job to go full-time doing all this e-commerce stuff. And uh, I'm loving it every minute of it. Nice. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, I saw, in high school, my senior project was I bought uh, on Black Friday, went to Best Buy and bought uh -huh. like, you know, $2,000 worth of just anything I get my hands on. And then it took me like six months to sell through that. I think I made like 400 bucks and then didn't do anything with it after that. But, um, but yeah, that, that's kind of, it was actually a similar time around 04 in the, you know, arbitrage days, I guess. But, you know, the nice thing with that is, is like you actually took action and learned. I just 
But then I quit. My regularly scheduled life. Yeah. But then I quit. Kudos to you. Yeah. Then I quit though. So I put in a lot of work, made a little money, and then I quit. So and right now we're in the same spot. So it's all good. Exactly. Sometimes the uh, God bless the broken road (laughs) that brings us to here. So. Nice. And so, um, so yeah, so how, tell me those early days of Amazon. How did that uh, transpire for you? Yeah. So I, I remember back in the early days, it was uh, um, back in the days where there was, we didn't use this term, but now this is the term Amazon used. We did a lot of incentivized reviews. It was all legit back then of like, you know, you could get lists of like the top 10,000 reviewers. I was always very careful to say, hey, I would love your honest review if I give you a product. And people would always, you'd be amazed how many times people, would, uh, they would give it a review. And then it kind of got wind that, you know, because at the time they could do it as long as they put something as I received a free or discounted product in exchange for my honest review. And some, it might have been, I don't know if it was BuzzFeed or TechCrunch or somebody did like a a, a big expose on that, uh, how the reviews were all fake on Amazon and Amazon said no more of this. So they they just totally got rid of that strategy. So there's a, that, that that all went away. So um, I just was at the time still thinking like, okay, I was still early on and I was like, I got to figure out ways to grow this, you know, because you either invest in new products or you find new customers. And on Amazon, you know, there's the foundational pieces that you talk about a lot of, you know, maximizing your conversions and getting more people to your listing. But then at a certain point, like with a product, there's only so many people that are searching for garlic presses or yoga mats or whatever it is you're searching for. So you can only, you know, whittle down that, you know, to so much. So then it's like, you start looking for other things like, Shopify stores or Etsy or eBay. Those are all great things to do. And then what I did fairly early on when I had one product and I had four more like at the factory that were being worked on, I said, why don't I try Canada? It's like the place just north of us. They're really nice people. It's cold. I don't know, I don't know if I'd want to live there, especially when I live used to Florida. But let's just try my hand at it. They even call their money dollars, just like we call our money dollars. So I was like, let's just try it. And trying that and all these other different things, I came to learn very quickly. I already understand Amazon. I can do the same thing going into an international marketplace like Canada. And all that's different is the money symbol looks a little different because it says CAD in front of it. So it's like, it's all the same. The mechanics are the same. It's just sixth grade level math to figure out the currency difference. And so over time, I started reinvesting into my products, getting you know more products and going into more marketplaces. And now I'm selling in nine of Amazon's marketplaces, US and ADA internationals. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, that's more than most people that I've encountered for sure. So I definitely want to dive into the international sure. aspect of it because mm-hmm. I know a lot of our listeners would would like to learn more about that. Um, but first, I know that you were in the hotel and hospitality industry for a while for a, a good sure. of your career. Is that right? That is. That is. I was uh, I was working at a uh, at a hotel, and that was probably one of the things that actually pushed me from being a entrepreneur who buys golf clubs and never sells them to actually doing something about it was uh, I was working at a hotel, somewhat middle management and uh, my uh, position got um, 
eliminated. Actually, my level in the organization, because I was working in the convention center of this hotel, and my level in the convention center got axed. And so myself and someone else, and uh, it was basically a blessing in disguise of, you know, start pursuing a more entrepreneurial path. And so, um, yeah, I think I answered your question there, or I might have gone on a tangent. <laughs> no, that's great. That's a, it's a good story. And I wanted to ask, so has anything from your experience in the hotel slash hospitality industry helped your business on Amazon? Because I know, you know, were you able to incorporate a better customer experience or anything that kind of other people sell on Amazon might not have that you have? You know what? That's a, that's a very good uh, question. Um, I would say yes. And I, I would say it doesn't matter what it is you do. I mean, even if you're doing oil changes or you're a brain surgeon or whatever, so there's something in your job you can incorporate into your entrepreneurial career. And for me, yeah, probably some of it was customer service space because I remember once upon a time when I worked for, uh, before I worked for this hotel company, um, I had worked at a, a magical place in Orlando, which people could probably figure out where, where this is. And I remember we would get so worked up because I was a restaurant manager at the time. We would get so worked up about people like, you know, trying to scam us for free food. And we'd be like, this is going to date myself, but we would send alpha pages to each other, you know, like alpha pages. So it's like text messages, but it only goes one way and uh, you only receive it on a pager. And we would be like, oh, someone's like trying to like scam or whatever, da, 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 da. And I remember one of the higher ups was like, look, here's the deal. Don't worry about that. At the end of the day, most people are coming to you with a complaint, even if it feels weird or whatever, they're probably doing the right thing and they're trying just to resolve their issues. So you can create a customer for life if you fix it, or you can end up in a situation where you really upset someone and then they never come back because they had a real situation. And then there's going to be a certain percentage of people that are going to scam. And it's like, you know, do we want to ruin creating lifetime customers to protect the fact we might have to give away a $5 cheeseburger or something like that? So it was like, it helped put in perspective. So now when I'm on Amazon, like pretty much like within reason, and it's pretty much 99.9% .9 of cases where someone's complaining, I always like to go above and beyond. Most of the time I even tell them, don't even send me it back. I'll send you a new one. Like it's not even worth it. And so, and sometimes I'll even send them additional product on top of what it was that I'm replacing because I just want them to be happy because a happy customer especially that you don't want to make problems, but if you can fix their problem, they're probably more likely to come back to you. Nice. I'm not getting any SIG on my beep. You know what that that's from that line? No, no, no. What's that from? <laughs> that's from the hangover, uh, the hangover movies. Oh, that, yes, that's the only yes. time I know about using a beeper. I've never had a beeper, but uh, <laughs> yes. that's, I'm that's what dating I'm... myself. I'm <laughs> beepers. Nice. <laughs> Well, that's cool. So, I mean, yeah. even back in the age of beepers, you know, customers, uh, you know, making them happy. And, and like, I like what you said was, you know, an angry customer can turn into a huge problem in your business. So give them, you know, a $5 cheeseburger or, you know, $30 of product to make them happy. They might turn into right. a really happy customer for yeah. life from that. So, um, yeah, I think that is something that we try to preach with our clients as well, which is like, you need to treat your customers like gold, go above and beyond, mm -hmm. because those one-star reviews are really hard to get off of your page. 
Right, exactly. And I've gotten five-star reviews that mentioned the customer service. So it was people that probably they might not have, either they would have done nothing or they would have left a one-star review. But I prevented a one-star review or I got a five-star review that I wouldn't have gotten otherwise because taking good care of them and, you know, and they mentioned the customer service of the company in their, in their review. So it's definitely, definitely customer service, I think is really important. Yeah. So what can you remember about, you know, you were trying a lot of different things. You, you know, could take advantage of the incentivized reviews and, and all that good stuff, but then that sort of starts drying up. So what kind of helped you break through to where you were really doing like significant revenue and profit numbers where you knew like, okay, this is what I want to do. This, this can be paying all of my bills, you know, long-term. What, what were some of the things that maybe helped you get to that level? I think some of it is connecting with other people. And I remember I was talking to Bernie Thompson, who um, is an eight figure seller. I don't, it's probably okay to talk about his product because he talks about it publicly. And he's been like the poster child for selling internationally at one point on uh, Seller Central when you log in. But he has a, a company that does like a technology stuff, um, like USB cables and uh, things of that nature. I'm probably not doing it justice, but he's an eight figure seller. And I remember talking to him and he's like, when you have something that works, you don't want to just like, go aggressive you don't want to just go double down you really want to go all in and really really take that leap of faith and that's one of the things that stuck with me and so it made me really focus on the following holiday season after that really putting all my chips in and sometimes it's kind of scary and it's like this might not work but what if it does work you know it's like oftentimes we don't give ourselves the opportunity for things to work we don't give ourselves that opportunity because we're too afraid of the risk. But, you know, most of the time, the good things in life are on the other side of fear. Yeah, I love that. Makes perfect sense. So, okay, let's hop over to selling internationally. So yes. it sounds like you decided just to try out Canada mm -hmm. and, you know, see how it was and then started having some success there. And so, mm -hmm. and then now you're selling, you know, on nine different Amazon international platforms. So if you want me to ask like what, like what percent of your total revenue is the international Amazon channels? Like, are we talking like, does it add up to 7% or is it like half of the business? Like what, what, what is the potential for people? No, that's a great question. So it's about 30% of what I do um, or about 30% of what I do in the U S is an, an additional 30% um, by selling internationally. And that's mostly, and this is where I think people can get like too crazy. Like, don't start going into Australia right away or, you know, Japan or something like, and I'll walk through the process of kind of where I suggest people do like kind of the path, but most of the sales are going to come from Canada and Europe. And, you know, there's pros and cons of both places, which we can, uh, we can talk about. Okay, cool. So yeah, let's talk about sort of those first steps. So from everything that you've learned now, let's imagine someone's doing pretty well, on Amazon US, at what point does it make sense for them to even consider the time and effort um, and hassle of going international? Like, should they be doing at least a hundred grand a year in sales or a million? Or do you have any sort of tips for when it even makes sense? That's, that's a, 
a, a very good question. And, you know, I think it depends for certain people. So I'll just use myself. So Canada, in order to register for their sales tax that they call GST, you're required to, it shouldn't be in order to, it's, you're required to register if you have at least 30,000 Canadian dollars, which is about 23 US, uh, 23,000 US dollars in sales worldwide, not just in Canada. So at the time, I was still relatively new. Like I said earlier, I just had the one skew and I, I didn't hit that threshold mark yet. So I was like launching into Canada with very low sales. And I know a lot of people say you shouldn't go international until like you're a seven figure seller or something like that. But like to me, like you're just compounding time because over time you have, you know, the more you can get a return on your time, the better. So it makes the snowball grow faster is the way I look at it. And so people can start relatively early. It's kind of like one of those things you got to make sure it's not a shiny object, but oftentimes, you know, people will start like trying to run traffic to their Shopify store early on. And that's a whole different skill set. And I don't want to dismiss, you know, other channels, but the nice thing about Amazon is if you're starting to get traction on Amazon, selling in an international marketplace like Canada is relatively easy. I don't know the exact statistic, but 75 to 90%, I've read estimates anywhere in there, but 75 to 90% of people in Canada live within 100 miles of the US border. Most of them, especially in Amazon.ca, speak English. The culture is very similar to here. So if it sells here, chances are it's gonna sell there, especially if similar products are already selling. Gotcha. So let's say you go launch on Amazon in Canada, for example, because mm-hmm. that, that's English and probably one of the easiest to start. Mm-hmm. So one thing that comes to mind is, you know, how do you build, I'm guessing that you still need reviews and you need that initial boost of traffic and sales. And so, you know, that can be uh, you know, a challenge for people. We've talked to a lot of clients that are, they're that mm-hmm. worried about that. So how, how do you get those initial traffic sales and reviews, you know, if you don't know anyone in Canada? No, great question. So what I would say, one of the things to think about is Canada, for example, it's about 10%. It's a, for me, it's a little higher of my U.S. sales I see in Canada. But anecdotally, people, I think even Amazon quotes this number 10%. A lot of sellers say it's around 10%, sometimes a little less, sometimes a little more. But you can use 10% as a baseline. So that means, and also there's 10% of the population roughly in Canada that there is in the U S. So there's also going to be 10% of the traffic, 10% of reviews theoretically. And the nice thing is you don't start over from scratch. The way it works is if you're starting, let's say you have 20 reviews on your product and you go into Canada, you'll have those 20 reviews. Now, I've seen it both ways on the search page where if you type in garlic press and you're selling a garlic press, that your garlic press will show your 20 reviews from um, amazon.com. Sometimes I see it where it won't show any. And then on the next page, you'll start off with, it'll say your 20 reviews on the listing page. You pretty much always see it on the product detail page. Now, what happens is once you get a review in Canada or whatever marketplace, then that review takes precedence. But this is more my opinion. I think people are just used to, because 
there are not a lot of reviews on products in general in Canada relative to what they would be in the US. So I think they're used to, and this is a nice thing that happens in every marketplace. People can scroll down to the reviews. It'll always give, not always, Amazon's always testing things, but for the most part, you're going to see the local reviews um, have precedence in the review section. And then underneath it, customers on amazon.com also said, and then it'll show reviews from the US. So the nice thing is you don't start over completely from scratch when you go into Canada with reviews. So they're already kind of there. In fact, sometimes people get like, oh, I have 300 reviews on my product. And then all of a sudden they have one review showing because they got one in Canada. But either way, I, I think it's less of a focus there. And another thing is international marketplaces tend to be an afterthought for people and there's less competition. People aren't doing as much there. So, you know, I know you had started selling stuff in like 2014, which was a whole different world than it is today. It's almost like in a lot of ways, the international marketplaces are like 2014 or whatever with just the tactics. Like you pretty much can just throw up a product, turn on PPC and go and then get some residual sales. Gotcha. And one thing that comes to mind as well is that, yeah, Canada has roughly 10% of the population, but there's a lot less competition there that you're competing against. And so in the U S just because it's a, you're in a big market, you may, you know, only be the number 20 seller in your respective market, but maybe on Canada, I'm guessing it would be a lot easier to say, maybe you can become the number one or the number five seller. And you may actually sometimes, you know, it might be possible to get, higher sales in Canada than the U S just because the, the opportunity, the, the competition is less, right? Yes, absolutely. I mean, the thing of it is like what will end up happening is um, there'll be less competition. So there's less products on there. Um, some companies will have where they'll have like, you know, maybe they have 20 variations of a particular product in the U S but they only have four in Canada on that product. So it's like, there's less that you'll see on the listing page. And even when there's, you know, parent children together, there's still fewer options in Canada or really any country for the most part, because the, the big shiny object for most people is the U S and they forget about the other marketplaces. I mean, there's people that's, that live in Canada that don't that sell in Canada, but they sell in the U S <laughs> because they're just so focused on the U S they forget about, right there at home there's <laughs> there's a whole new opportunity there that's hilarious yeah so how do you handle the uh, language translation in, in in some of the other countries that it's it's that it's probably a lot more critical to to have that that's a great question and that gets to be a lot more challenging as dealing with translations um for example amazon helped me get launched in Japan and they translated them and the way they said it was going to be machine translation with a human checking it. <laughs> Later on, they, they admitted it was not as good of translations as they had hoped. So I haven't done as well in Japan as I'd like to have. But one of the things I would say is like currently as we're recording this in Europe, you could put all of your inventory in the UK and depending what happens with Brexit, you could sell in all the other international marketplaces. There's four other marketplaces, uh, Germany, France, 
Italy and Spain, you can sell in those marketplaces. And it's not optimal, but sometimes up and running is better than trying to make things perfect. You could Google translate it and just put, you won't get the sales or the conversions, but you could theoretically add listings into, you know, Italy and just do Google translate. I wouldn't recommend that long-term, but I would say if you're going to do translations, make sure you find a reputable translation company. Like for example, uh, here in the U S there's the American translator association. I think it's called the ATA, you know, maybe find a local translator that speaks the language because you can go on Fiverr, Upwork or wherever, and you can find people pretty cheap. But the problem is unless you speak the language, you have absolutely no idea if what they're saying in the translation is literally just copied off of Google Translate. That's one thing I worry about sometimes. <laughs> so if you're at, so one tip I do have is let's say you know someone that speaks Spanish or German or something like that and you don't necessarily want them to translate or you don't think that they'd be interested in that, you could always get a translation and then have them check it and give you an opinion. And if the person seems to do well with the translation, then you can have them do more listings. Gotcha. Yeah. That's, that's a pretty cool tip. Um, so it's sounding like on the international platforms, it's really not that critical to get reviews because you're, Amazon.com reviews are pulled in and it appears that the customers there are just used to that, that the top sellers may not have many local reviews. And so that, that doesn't seem to be as big of a hurdle. Now, one thing I'm thinking of is what strategies do you do to help, you know, launch in, in the uh, international markets? Like, are you, you know, you know, using an external audience or are you just simply turning on Amazon PPC in those markets and, you know, or, or using any external traffic or like launch strategies to help get ranked over there. Honestly, I just take the product, put it up there, send in a small amount of inventory to get some data and then see what happens from there. So like you're, you're right on the nail with reviews are not as critical. So I'm going to give an example here. I have a product that's one of my better selling products in the UK, it's been there now for almost three years. It has one review and it's a one star review and it still gets sales. Sometimes it's not as good as other times, you know, other times of the year, but you know, here at the holidays, cause it's a fairly giftable product, it gets sales. And I don't know if it's because people are going back to my theory that they, if they care that much about reviews, they go down to see what people in the US think because they know that there's going to be a lot more reviews from amazon.com customers and there will be in their marketplace. Now, if you have a product that is a little bit more competitive, then maybe you would want to look at, you know, there's services that do international launches to lists and things of that nature. Um, I've actually talked to people that have said that, they, you know, they're all about those type of strategies here in the U S and they're like, it just doesn't seem to work internationally. They don't see any more sales than they would if they just launched it, turned on PPC and go. What would you say on the PPC side in the countries where translators, um, you know, like, like in France or Italy or Japan, are you running PPC there? And if so, are you running your PPC all in English? Or are you running both English and having a translator do at least the top five to 10 keywords in their native language? Or 
what, what do you recommend there? Because I'm guessing PPC is lower competition, pretty you know, safe way to, to build uh, traction. Yes. And some of it is just, it goes back to, you know, time versus um, possibility. And so like France and Spain are very slow. So like in Spain, I don't even turn on PPC. Um, some of the other marketplaces, like let's say Italy, Italy is kind of like that mid tier country within Europe. And I pretty much turn on auto campaigns and then go in periodically. You don't have to do it as often because you don't get as much data and I'll just find negatives. So if it, if it just is not a, a good keyword, then I'll just make it negative and just focus on auto. And then anything that is good, you can always promote to like an exact match. I'd be very careful. I found just to be very careful with broad match campaigns because yeah, unless you understand the context of the words, it's just, it, it, it can be harder to manage. So oftentimes auto is fine too. But I focus more of my time really on the English-speaking markets. And then also, uh, I would say Germany is kind of the, the next one you really want to focus on. So if you were going to hire someone to either give you, okay, here's suggested translations, or you know, you could do reverse ASIN tools, oftentimes will work in other marketplaces where you could take, okay, let's take some keywords and then start with low bids and then bid up as you're starting to see some of them are working or not working. But, you know, what it comes down to sometimes too is you only have, as I mentioned, you only have so much time and sometimes just being up and launched and, you know, even if it's just running auto campaigns and just making exact match negatives is better than not being launched. Because if you look at it, you know, if you're doing 10, 15, 20%, between, let's say the UK and Canada, you know, on top of the sales you're getting in the US, Think of all the things people will do to get another 10, 15, 20% on sales. And oftentimes they involve a lot more risk than it would. Whereas like one thing I will say is, this is going a little bit of a tangent here, but people oftentimes have this mentality of if I'm going to get launched in Canada, if I'm going to get launched in Europe and my MOQ is a thousand, I need to order another thousand units. No, you could just order the thousand units or whatever you're normally ordering maybe send 50 of them into Canada or send 50 of them into the UK, get some data, see what sells. And then on the next order, even if you run out for you know a little bit of time, it's not going to be the end of the world or break your business because you're going to now have data. You can then increase your order size or whatever the case is, or just order the same amounts and just sell through it faster. Yeah, that's really great advice actually. So to bring it back, for those listening, most people are probably not selling internationally. Mm -hmm. So is there like a, a, a minimum size that you're like, hey, if you're at this size, like, and, and, you know, is there a threshold where it doesn't make sense to, you know, distract yourself with these international markets, right? Obviously, if they're selling 100 bucks a month, I'm guessing that's, you know, right. not the right time to go to Canada, right? So what would you say is at least like a minimum where, where you wouldn't advise it until you get there? That's a good question. And that's one thing I know a lot of people disagree with me on, but I would say if you're at a point where you're starting to look at other channels I and you're not international, I would go international before trying to make eBay work or trying to make Etsy work. Because if you already understand Amazon, literally the only thing is different is it's a drop down menu to go to switch from the U S to Canada. And I would at least start with Canada 
because the logistics are simple. The sales tax is structured very simple the way it is here. And actually you only have to file sales tax once a year there and it's to the federal government. So everything is easy. And again, it's just sixth grade level math, figuring out the difference in currency. Great. Well, I think those are great uh, next steps for them. And so any final words as far as, you know, what advice you would give to, for someone to dive into that so that they can you know, achieve successful international expansion? Yeah, I would say one, start small, but I'm going to talk a little bit out of the other side of my mouth and go somewhat aggressive. Sometimes I'll hear people say like, oh, I tried Canada or I tried UK and just didn't work. Well, how many products do you have? Well, I have 20. Well, how many did you start with? Well, I just wanted to start small, so I started with one. Well, maybe that wasn't the product that was going to work in the UK because maybe just culturally they like things slightly differently than they like things here in the US. But if you give yourself, if you have more products and at least try maybe your top, you know, let's say five or something like that in the US look on jungle scout and go to amazon.ca or amazon.co.uk and just see do similar products to yours sell and then another just little tip i will have and this will probably scare some people is if you go to amazon.ca or amazon.co.uk you might find your product for sale and chances are if you do it's what's called the gray listing because let's say in the let's say you sell your product for $20 in the U S if you convert that to Canadian dollars, for example, that's about 26 Canadian dollars. You might see it for sale for 70 or $80 Canadian. It makes absolutely no sense. And it's probably fulfilled by merchant and it's what they're doing is they're drop shipping. So there's bots that will crawl Amazon. And I've had reps from Amazon explain this to me. They'll add like a million listings into a foreign marketplace and the hopes that every now and then they get a sale and then they buy it from you. I don't even worry about those as far as like their hijackers on my listing. So be it. I'm always going to get the, uh, the, the buy box because I have a good priced item and I have, uh, you know, local inventory in an Amazon warehouse in Canada or wherever. So I'm going to end up getting the buy box. I never have to worry about that. Occasionally, I'll lose the buy box to Amazon deals, but I don't lose the uh, buy box to those gray listings. But at the end of the day, just get started. If you do the things others won't do, you'll get the results others can't have. There you go. Words of wisdom. So, all right, Kevin, well, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. So why don't you tell people a little bit where where can they find you if they want to get in contact with you and all that? You can definitely check out the Maximizing E-Commerce podcast and YouTube channel. I uh, have had Jeff uh, as a guest. So depending on when this airs, which one comes on first, but definitely uh, keep a lookout for uh, for Jeff coming on Maximizing E-Commerce. And I know throwing out a lot of information and sometimes uh, I can even throw out even more information to people. And it feels like drinking from the fire hose uh, when it comes to selling internationally. It's something I'm pretty passionate about. And I love helping people with it. So I uh, put together a checklist. So if you go to maximizingecommerce.com forward slash playbook for as in playbook for Amazon. Um, so again, maximizingecommerce.com forward slash playbook. You can download what I'm calling the international checklist. It's actually like 16 pages. It's more of a mini guide. It's got uh, basically the steps of what you need to do to get started. And then if you have any questions or, you know, want to 
go a little bit deeper, I'd be more than happy to offer a free 30 minute strategy session uh, to your listeners. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, Kevin. And uh, yeah, hopefully a lot of these listeners will, you know, be having success in Canada and all around the world and they'll have you to thank. So uh, thanks for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Jeff. A big thank you to Kevin Sanderson for coming on to the podcast. That was a really, really great episode. Hopefully you, you know, are now a lot more knowledgeable about what it takes to be successful selling internationally on the Amazon platforms around the world, whether it makes sense for you to do it now or sometime later this year or next year. But I think you probably would have got a lot out of that episode. So big thank you to Kevin. Also, if you want to grow your sales this year and want to figure out what can I do to get to that next level. That's what we do here at Turnkey. Uh, We can do it for you with our team or we can coach you to that next level incredibly quickly and profitably. So if you are interested in growing your business on Amazon, please reach out to us at turnkeyproductmanagement.com slash apply. Thank you for listening. Subscribe, leave us a review. Thank you so much. And we'll see you on the other side.